And welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm Kevin. With me, as usual, is Jess in this weird, topsy-turvy world. I feel like so much has happened in the, the last month since we have gotten to be with you all. But the most important thing, which makes me really sad and makes no sense, is that the Jets beat the Cowboys. And so we now live in a world... <laughs> In which, oh. in which the Jets are one and four. Jess, how do you it's feel? Beautiful. How do you feel about your Jets? Uh, uh, actually, they've broken me so badly that I'm not even that excited about it. So. <laughs> I am so broken by that team. I'm like, oh, great. They won one game. Maybe maybe let's win three more and get back to 500, and then maybe we'll talk. But that won't happen. Yeah. That won't happen. That's how I feel about the Cowboys, because they just... They they do well and then they then they like to suck and then they like to sort of like hobble it back at the end and give everybody something. something they to they picked for. A, they they picked a really really bad time to suck given that they have to play the Eagles and the Giants back to back. So it's true, it's true. But <laughs> um, well, folks, uh, we're coming to you. Also, the other thing that's happened is that New York Comic Con was a couple weeks ago, uh, the beginning of October, and with that brought sort of an abundance of uh, Marvel and other comic news, uh, which is highlighting all of the different companies sort of plans as we begin the uh, the new year of 2020. So we're going to go through a few of these titles. We're not going to go through all of them, but we're going to cover sort of the big, the big highlights and sort of give our, um, our thoughts. And if we don't have a lot of thoughts, then we'll get through it really quickly. Uh, so kicking off first, uh, it was announced that uh, Kelly Thompson and Javier Pina are Pina Pina are uh, doing a uh, star miniseries. It's five issues. It's spinning out of Captain Marvel. She's a stars a character that has been a part of uh, Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel run since the beginning and uh, has been sort of uh, popular. So she's getting her own sort of uh, spinoff series. Uh, Jess, what do you what do you think about that? She had you been keeping up with that book? No, any or a little not bit? at all. That's why I had no idea who this was. I was like, what? <laughs> who is this? Yeah, no. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I don't have much about this because I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's a good team. I just don't really know That's who fair. that is. That's so. fair. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she's like, uh, there, was a, the, we, uh, there was a reporter in the first issue of Captain Marvel, and then like in the later few issues, it's revealed that she's this uh, star person, but like her and Captain Marvel are fighting. I don't know. All the issues being on Bleeding Cool uh, have like flipped for a lot on eBay because it was a new character and people were like going nuts because they were trying to figure out which issue she appeared in first and all this stuff. So um, so Marvel's banking on that, which is cool uh, or not cool. I don't know. Capitalism sucks. Uh, okay. Next on the list, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is ending its current run with Donnie Cates and Corey Smith uh, with issue 12 in um, December and it's going to be relaunched in January as Marvel does uh, with the new creative team of Al Ewing and Juan Cabal a new ongoing series and the Guardians of the Galaxy are taking on sort of a reborn dark gods of Olympus uh, group sort of spinning out of the end of Avengers No Road Home which uh, Ewing was a part of Um, Jess, Guardians of the Galaxy um I don't usually read Guardians of the Galaxy, but Al Ewing likes to get really weird with what he writes. 
And I feel like if he's going to take on a title and get really weird with it, Guardians of the Galaxy is the one to do that with. Whether or not they let him is a different story, especially given now that um, Kevin Feige is like the guy now that everyone goes through um, on the Mm -hmm. movies and comic side. So like, I don't know how much the comics are going to get to stay as to what they are. But if he gets to be real weird with it, like he's doing with Hulk, then I think that um, this could be really good. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, we should also mention it was announced this week that Kevin Feige is the new uh, chief creative officer for Marvel Entertainment. So no, I'm no longer just president of Marvel Studios. Now he's CCO of the sort of entire shebang. And it's still a little bit unclear exactly what that means for the comic side and stuff. But uh, you're right. Like it could, it might lead to sort of a, a sort of like culling of sort of the creativity and weirdness that some of current Marvel stuff has going on in order to just be like feed feeding troughs into like movie movie stories and properties. But I don't know. Like I'm still pretty I'm still pretty hopeful that they'll get to do some continue to do some of the weird bullshit that they're still doing right now. I think so. I'm like you, like really like Al Ewing and. Um, think this like has the potential to be a really cool um, gig. I haven't finished Avengers No Road Home, but I know that it's sort of the end of that story had some teases that I guess are going to play out in this. And I think it's kind of cool that Ewing's being set up, I guess when we talk about uh, the incoming issue, the incoming one-shot thingy in a couple months um, and all of the things that are spinning out of that in Marvel 1000 this might be a place where we get to see some of those things, which is kind of, kind of fun. Um, because I think like the guardians of the galaxy comic stuff, at least the last couple of years, all of the Bendis and Jerry Duggan stuff was sort of like aligned with the tempo of the movies, which made them not so great. Uh, but I've really, really enjoyed the last sort of year that Kate's has been on the book. Cause I think it's sort of injected, um, a lot more seriousness back into the title and sort of like reached a balance between sort of the like cosmic um, like idiot idiocy of the movies and sort of like serious like cosmic Marvel things. And I think that this seems like it might, mm-hmm. it will be able to continue some of that. And I really like Juan Cabal also a lot. He's the, the artist who's been working with Tom Taylor on friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, and I think he's really good. Uh, and was on all new Wolverine. Um, so yeah. Okay. Uh, moving right along then, uh, coming up in January, 2020 is, uh, the aptly named Iron Man 2020, uh, co-written by Dan Slott and Chris Gage and illustrated by Pete Woods. It's spinning out of, uh, Slott and Zub and Gage's current Tony Stark Iron Man title, which is going to be ending, which has been building to this Iron Man 2020 story that's paying off on some sort of odd miniseries from the 80s. And it'll see Arno Stark, who's Tony's brother, uh, he's going to be the new Iron Man, and there's all sorts of robot, revolutionary, Marxist, fun, revolution crap things. Um, this has not been a title that I've kept up on a lot because I didn't super love the first couple issues, but I'm interested, I guess, in where this is going. So Jess, I'm curious about what your your thoughts are. Um, I haven't read Iron Man at all. I kind of don't read Dan Slott's stuff. So 
yeah, I don't, I don't have. Uh, you didn't read the whole like the thread thing. that he went and saw the Joker movie and then oh, like had to argue about it for a really long time. He blocked me. I don't know why. I've never <laughs> actually. I don't know why. I've never tweeted at him. I think the few times I ever tweeted at him were like years and years ago when I first got on Twitter and was like a big fan of Superior Spider Man, and then I just got blocked. And yeah. like, so I I don't really like him, but mostly because he kind of acts like an ass on Twitter a lot. Um, <laughs> people like people who know him say, well, he's not really like that. But I'm like, yeah, but all I have to go off of is how he behaves online. So yeah, I don't really read his stuff. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I'm blocked by Al Ewing on Twitter for some reason. So That's terrible. Weird- because he doesn't even tweet things. that much. <laughs> I know. It makes me sad because I feel like I, I miss out on things. But um, I guess I'm I guess I'm following some person that maybe yelled at him once and that I'm like chain blocked or blockchained or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I'm I, speaking of sort of like the weirdness that you were just talking about a second ago. Like, I think that this is sort of one of the weirder ideas because it's like, the idea of Iron Man like 2020 is an idea that's like super old and came out like in this series. I think it was like a machine man series from the eighties or something. And so slots been building to this and his run, like kind of a sort of like a cheeky um, sort of like fulfillment of this one really odd story in some ways, because we have made it to 2020 surprisingly um, go earth. Well, I guess not, not yet. So Maybe premature celebration. We should do that. Um, so I think I just I'm cur- I'm sort of I guess cautious and curious about about this in sort of a weird way. And I really do like I like Pete Woods. Pete Woods' art a lot. Also, um, cool. So the biggest news from the con or the news that people uh, pegged as the biggest was we had the announcement of the next Thor creative team, building off of uh, Jason Aaron's. Dodderman, Jason Aaron, Russell Dodderman, Asad Ribic, and Co.'s last uh, seven-year run on the title. So we now know that Donnie Cates and Nick Klein and Matt Wilson will be relaunching Thor with a new number one starting in January of 2020. Um, and it'll see Thor still being uh, all-father Thor, running Asgard, everybody's rebuilding after the War of the Realms and all of that. Um craziness and sort of the ominous thing that they're teasing is that something called the black winter is coming. Um, so very game of Thrones, uh, since that show is, is, is no longer with us. <laughs> Thank um, God. Maybe winter will come. Maybe winter will come well this time because everyone hated. <laughs> um, what do you think Jess about Thor? Thor? Um, I like Donnie Cates. Uh, I he just hasn't been on properties that I like, so I haven't really been reading anything he's done. But I think um, maybe he can do something fun with Thor, so I'll check it out, see if I like it. Um, but that's kind of it, because he is a good writer. It's just he just has been working on stuff I just don't care about. I've never been a Venom or a Carnage reader, so it's kind of like, well, it's kind of hard to win me over on that. So Thor, though, I like Thor, so. We'll see. Yeah, I think, um, like that's that's sounds like yeah. A lot of our conversations have been like, yeah, Cates is a good is like a great writer and a like very talented, but he's been on sort of books that have been 
more uninteresting or whatever. Like I'm not a super big Venom fan, but I've really, really liked all his, his guardian stuff that, and I've been keeping up um, with that book, like every, like every month when it comes out, it's one of the first books that I, uh, that I go to and read. Um, I think this is really cool. I think this is sort of the, the choice that everyone um, was expecting. Like this was, I don't think this came as a surprise for anyone that Kate's was going to be writing. Um, I don't know a ton about Nick Klein as uh, as an artist. I know like he was on Deadpool most recently with with Scotty Young, uh, but all the like preview art that I saw seemed really really fun, um, and all the like and all the art too sort of teased that this was going to be like I feel like a lot of uh, like Dodderman and Aaron's like their collaborations because of like the way that Dodderman's art is was so like very um, like bright. And sort of like uh, like light, and um, I don't know that there's I don't know that that's that's the I don't know there's a better way to like describe it in that. So like it's just like like all of the rainbow stuff felt very sort of like like lightish and um, and and innocent and and like was really really bright colors. And all the like preview art for this seemed like it was a lot more like blues and blacks and and grays. And so it seems like it's going to be more um, like darker and not maybe like um like darker in the sense that the tone's going to be darker but i think like the book is going to have a more sort of like sinister quality and so i'm kind of interested i think in that and also too it seems he i saw on like on twitter kate was talking about thor stuff this is even this week um that he's like known for a really really long time that he was going to be on this book like he said like he's known for over a year that he was going to be writing thor um and so i think that like everything that's coming after like Jason Aaron's run now is going to be like very well planned and very well executed. And I'm excited for that because that whole saga was wonderful Uh, and it's going to be hard to follow. That's how, that's how it should be though. You know, I mean, they should, like, I feel like, I mean, we're going to talk about like a lot of X-Men stuff, but that's like a thing that I think we could see with like what Hickman planned out with all these artists. Like it seems like it was all very meticulously Mm -hmm. planned out, like maybe a year before we even looked at the solicitations for these books. And that's how it should be. Yeah. 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 I think I, I definitely think so. And like, I think, I think a lot of, of like Marvel right now is sort of moving into that like mode of things being like very well planned and very well, um, articulated and I feel like sort of the last few years of of relaunch after relaunch haven't been that because it's like oh somebody has a great idea or a not great idea for an event comic mm-hmm. and then they're like okay that's what we're doing in six months everybody else like get your shit together and build to that because your book's going to be one of the tie-in mm-hmm. books um, which is not necessarily created uh, like it created sort of like a cohesion because all of the same books were sort of like following the same plot or story or whatever, but it didn't really create a lot of um, like creativity, I guess, across all of the the books, except if your book was not tying into whatever the big event comic was. So things like, um, like Squirrel Girl and like those other sort of like fun, more out there books, which were great. And I think now we have sort of a Marvel comic line that reflects a lot of different kinds of stories that are not sort of like the same, one voice all in things like we have, you know, the X-Men corner that it feels very distinct. And then like the Kate's corner that feels very distinct. And then whatever the heck that Nick Spencer's doing on all the Spider-Man things. And then like Aaron's kind of doing his Avengers stuff and everything doesn't really 
like tie into each other in that same sense. But it's kind of really great because you're getting a lot of different kinds of stories. Um, and so I think that this is just building on that. And I think come next year, we're going to get to the point that there's going to be kind of like a, like a, like a Zenith or a pinnacle of, of, of all of these different kinds of fun uh, creative stories happening all in these places. And maybe they'll start to combine some and maybe they won't, but I'm really like, I think that I'm reading more Marvel books right at the moment than I ever have at any point in the few years that I've been reading comics, which is really fun. Um, okay. So lastly, and we don't have a lot of details, plot details, nothing about this, just like the same way that the first wave of Dawn of X books was announced. But we know now that the first um, book in wave two of the uh, Hickman era of X-Men stuff is a Wolverine solo title. It's Logan's first solo title uh, since before he died, uh, like five years ago or whatever that was, um, and then took forever to come back. Uh, it's going to be written by Ben Percy, illustrated, uh, switching off artists, I think maybe uh, by ARC or by whatever, uh, Adam Kubert and Victor Bogdanovic. Uh, it'll begin in February this year. Um, and that's kind of all that we know, although we should point out that this week, um, it was teased in the back of uh, the previously mentioned Captain Marvel book, Captain Marvel number 11 that came out this week, uh, that artist Carmen Carnero, that a series artist, is launching a new X book in wave two that's going to be called X Corp. And it said that she was leaving Captain Marvel and going to launch that book as the main artist for that book. It, there was no writer that was announced or plot details or anything. It kind of maybe seems like somebody lost their job and screwed up. Uh, um, but that's what we know about sort of the future. We also know uh, back during the wave one announcements that uh, Leia Williams and Vida Ayala will both have books in wave two. So they might be writing perhaps um, an X Corp book. And Hickman also did a long interview uh, where he answered a bunch of questions over at Adventures in Poor Taste, like that website. And he revealed that um, in year two, in the second year, there is going to be a book coming out about sort of the mutant resurrection process. So probably maybe about the the five. So a, a Gold Balls book, which is blessed and wonderful. And he also revealed that there is a different writer coming on uh, that he's really excited about to tell um, a Moira, a Moira um, miniseries story about sort of Moira's different lives and things. Um, and that that's coming sooner rather than later, which is uh, not what he anticipated in, in the planning of all these things. Um, so <laughs> Wolverine thoughts. Uh, Jess, what do you think about this creative team for, for Wolverine? Um, and Percy's actually really a good choice for a Wolverine book. Um, he He's written um, some novels that were action-heavy, and his Green Arrow runs really good. Um, so I think that this is, this is a pretty solid fit um, for a Wolverine book. What the uh, viewpoint of that Wolverine book is going to be, I don't know. But I think he's a good choice to write that book. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's like at one point it felt like there were so many Wolverine books, and like this is technically his first soul, but like not really because like after he died, there were like eight hundred series about him being dead, and I'm like, so I mean, I understand that it's like it's his first one since being alive again, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. is it though? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 
I, people were saying that like right at the announcement. I was like, right, but we got all those mini series like over and over and over again that did like a whole lot of nothing. Um, and and like I'm I'm not like bummed, but just am uh, curious, I guess, more about what the statics, the status of like uh, like Laura and Gabby's going to be in sort of this new in like the Hickman era. Like I, we know that um, like that that Laura, that X-23 is going to be in Fallen Angels. Um, but it kind of seems like she's going to be on the outskirts of all the things that are happening. Uh, and I like, you know, theoretically, Logan as a character. But uh, I also really enjoyed the era of him not being around as much. And, excuse me, and us having all new, all new Wolverine things. I do think yeah. that you're right. Like, I think that Percy's a really good choice he's for this. He's a really good fit. Uh, especially because he's going to be writing Wolverine and X-Force. Um, and he did all those those Wolverine... He was the main writer on all those Wolverine podcasts that Marvel's been doing. So, like, he has... He's built up some some credit in this room. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and, and I loved his, his Green Arrow stuff, too, like you were saying. Um, I don't... Like, I am just kind of curious... Uh, and we might end up talking about this some when we talk about X-Men number one. Uh, <clears throat> like one of the things that I was really interested about in sort of this uh, this new era of, of all the X-Men stuff was that like we're going to, we would be getting a lot of sort of like new writers and artists to come in that Marvel hasn't like elevated in the same way. And not that I hate Adam Kubert at all, but I think it would be really interesting if this book was more Victor Bogdanovic than it was like Adam Kubert. Because Kubert's been around for a really long time, in the same way that like Lenny Lenny's been around for um, for a really long time, uh, and so I don't know. Like, there's some there was something about that that sort of tethered it to like, oh, this is still like kind of old or in the same vein of some other stuff. Because Kubert did like a bunch of Wolverine stuff in like the '90s and the in the 2000s. Um, but I, I think that Percy's a great fit. And I, I really love what Bogdanovic's been doing over on all his DC stuff. So him getting this kind of project is really cool. Um, yeah. Okay. And then uh, not at New York Comic Con, but announced also this week uh, as we sort of anticipate the Marvel solicits uh, middle of next week after this episode's been released is that we know that... Uh, we're getting a new Hawkeye book uh, called Hawkeye Freefall. And it's going to be about Clint. Uh, and it's going to be written by Matthew Rosenberg, illustrated by Otto Schmidt. Um, and it's coming starting in January of 2020. And it's Clint taking on um, a new person who has assumed the identity of, of Ronan, uh, as he did. And as he did in the Avengers, he thinks, on screen. Uh, so there's a new white white nationalist Clint running around. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Jess, what do you think? What do you think about this? I honestly was a fan of Hawkeye. Honestly, the only Hawkeye stuff I ever actually read was was the Matt Fraction, um, David Aha stuff. So yeah, I am I am not, mm-hmm. a, not a yeah not a Hawkeye person. So. <laughs> yeah yeah i think the thing that interests me about this is um i've been wondering for like the last 
uh, I mean, not like actively wondering, but just like every time, like passively curious, it, it, it comes up sometimes. Like I've been wondering what Otto Schmidt's been up to. Um, Cause like he was on Ben Percy's Green Arrow stuff at DC. And then he like did a short stint doing Harley Quinn uh, with Humphreys. And like, I hadn't seen him in a while. And I think he's like a really, really great artist. Um, and so I was like, where's Otto Schmidt at? And it seems like he's been working on this Hawkeye book, which is like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's not, like, it just seems mm-hmm. weird though, that he like went from doing Green Arrow things to now doing like Hawkeye stuff to doing like the Marvel equivalent. Um, but I guess he just draws arrows really well. So um, yeah, I think this is like, okay, it's happening. Um, I'm not like super excited or not excited about it. I think it makes a lot of sense to have another Hawkeye book and to start elevating Clint again because he's getting a Disney Plus series. And so I'm thinking that we'll probably get um, other characters that are getting those kinds of things will start being elevated more in the comics very soon also. So, okay. All right. Well, we spent through a lot of that kind of quickly. So we're going to transition um, right now uh, into talking about uh, the final, the finale of House of X and Powers of 10. Then we're going to move into talking about X-Men number one, which came out this week and kicked off officially Dawn of X. And we're going to talk about the new Dr. Doom book, Uh, but we're going to do all of those things uh, after the break. So we'll see you then. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, no bad to end Dio impressions, this is bad, what the f***? and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and we're back uh for the second part of the episode we're going to be covering uh sort of and talking and uh reviewing some of marvel's uh biggest books from the uh last few weeks end of september beginning of october um so as we as we said previously you know house of x and powers of 10 have both ended the beginning of this month and dawn of x is kicking off so at the time of this recording the only dawn of x book that we have is x-men number one uh but what we're going to talk about first before we get into our big x-men discussions is another book that was announced uh back at san diego comic-con that um was kind of fun and kind of interesting and that uh that jess really likes the writer um so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Doom number one. Uh, it's Doom's sort of first ongoing in a really, probably his first ever ongoing, actually. I mean, he had the, the infamous Iron Man stuff that, that Bendis and Alex Maleev were doing, um, but that was very different than what is going on here. Uh, so Dr. Doom number one, uh, written, making his Marvel debut by Christopher Cantwell, illustrated by Salvador La, La Roca, colored by Guru FX, and then lettered by Corey Petit. Um so Jess, we'll start with you first. Uh, what is? Why do you like Cantwell a lot? So we'll start there. And then uh, what were so your overall thoughts about this first issue? So Chris Cantwell was actually the creator, uh, 
head writer and showrunner of um, Halt and Catch Fire, which was a really underrated show on AMC that kind of, to me, was like a spiritual successor to Mad Men a little bit because it was really about like this pivotal time in American history um, that it focused on uh, the birth of like the internet. Um, So you basically were in like the late, 80s i want to say where uh all these characters were working together on creating like personal use laptops and uh chat rooms and all kinds of things like that and the show was really really good and um it didn't get enough love and i adored it and so (laughs) (laughs) it, it got a full run it got four seasons but um i think it really flew under the radar for a lot of people i think it's still on netflix actually so like you're listening and you want to watch it it's on netflix it's it's really good um and so like he now writes comic books i think he's still pitching some tv stuff but he's also like writing comic books now and the thing about like his comic book work so far is it's been kind of weird um, compared to like Halt and Catch Fire. Like Halt and Catch Fire is a very conventional TV show, um, but his comic book work, uh, She Could Fly, which was a Dark Horse book, is like really fucking weird. Like it's like a really weird book. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of interesting to see him working on something like this where he's writing it on his own because you're starting to really see his voice. You're starting to really understand his voice. Um, so I liked Dr. Doom. It's weird. Um, it's not necessarily... Uh, I don't think it's going to be for everybody, but if you... I mean, I like a really kind of messed up Dr. Doom who's like torn up about a lot of different things and then also this like dictator type guy because he's a villain like Dr. Doom should never be more like he should not be written as like an almost good guy to me uh, or an anti-hero like he's a bad guy he should be doing bad things so I like that this is a book where he's a bad guy um up until we get to the actual like terrorist attack that happens that he didn't do. Um, but it's, it's a good story. Um, I think, and I think that it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, cause I kind of read this, not necessarily like, I know that we talk about like doom being a villain, but I think that uh, like, like doom and, and Dr. Doom and like Magneto, are like sort of the the pinnacle of like Marvel villains that are like really, really sympathetic or that like you really want to understand them. And it's like, although I think that he's like definitely written in this story, like, like an asshole who is like a dictator. I don't know that he's like inherently like villainous, Um, but maybe that's just like, I don't know. Like there's a lot of other, ideas that I have about Dr. Doom going on in my head that I didn't read him as like, I didn't read him as like, as like pure evil or whatever, like his sort of uh, like at the beginning, like the sympathy that he has for like wanting this um, like climate change preventing machine to like succeed. uh, Like I thought was like really sort of, of emblematic of like kind of doom, like doom. It's like things like he's arrogant and he has like his, his own ideas and he thinks that he's always right and he'll do whatever it takes. But I think like at the end of the day, um, like he wants humanity to win or whatever, which is maybe, I don't know, like there are a lot of villains that also want that. Uh, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. But I, uh, 
and I also, so I didn't know much and I haven't watched Halt and Catch Fire and I actually didn't know it was about the internet. I, I think I had it in my head that it was like about dragons or something because it sounds like a, a I wish it was about dragons. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's not about dragons. Halt, Halt and Catch Fire comes from, uh, it's some sort of like, I, I have to double check. Somebody else will know better than me, but I think it's, uh, the phrase comes from like early coding days and it means something, but I don't remember what it means. It means something with like coding. Um, I don't think they use the phrase anymore, but it was like, it originated in like when they first started really messing around with computers and stuff when, well, at least like personal use ones. Okay. Okay. Um, that's really cool. That seems, that seems like kind of in my wheelhouse. Uh, so I, so I really, so like I said, like, I really did like, like, I like this issue a lot. Um, I think, uh, like doom is written as sort of like, uh, like typical doom, like back on, back on the throne and everything. Um, I was like reading this and I thought that it felt like really different from a lot of other, uh, Marvel books kind of going on right now. Like, like Kang, like Kang shows up in the middle of the, of the issue, which is weird, but it's a lot more like melancholy and, um, like sad, sad than it is, uh, like sort of like plot moving or anything like i kind of like i was reading this um and like we were we were talking uh like during the break like i've started watching um like the leftovers recently so like damon lindelof's like hbo series um that's like really really good and it's the first sort of uh like prestige television show that i've watched in like a really long time uh like the sort of like made like high highbrow whatever tv stuff like not network tv things and like this feels Although like the stories are very, very different. Like this kind of feels like that. Like this sort of feels like prestige television, but uh, like in a Marvel comic, um, like it kind of seems sort of like that, that highbrow weirdness. You don't know everything that's going on in this first issue. Like nothing's really spilled out for you. Um, there's a lot of, of like undercurrents that things are like not a hundred percent as they seem. And like, it seems less sort of like typical like comic booky and superhero-y and more kind of like let's dig in and explore sort of the the mind of this of this person who um like it's just really like really sad um or just really like upset that life hasn't gone completely the way that they wanted to in a lot of ways yeah, the Kang stuff was interesting. That I I don't I don't know if I've ever seen Kang written so like down. <laughs> like I saw him show up and I'm like expecting some huge monologue about something nobody cares about except for maybe Doctor Doom, and yeah. instead we get like this just sad boy thing, which I kind of like. But that's like part of the weirdness of this book, which is why I keep coming back to that because it's just like. I don't know. It's not exactly what I think I was expecting from the book as far as like dialogue and things like that. Like there's some, there's that. And then there's some uh, like kind of thrown about like little jokes. And, but then there's also like this really emotional stuff with Dr. Doom. And then there's also like the whole, here's this massive attack that happens that definitely looks like Dr. Doom did it, but we know he didn't. So there's like a lot of moving pieces for like a small mini series, but I think it's really good. I think it's a really good way for um, someone like Cantwell to jump into like Marvel and kind of show what he can do. Um, 
whether it's being successful, I don't know, but it's a good way to get into things, I think. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's really true. Um, and like, it does, it does seem like a way for Cantwell to like get his, like get his feet wet or whatever. I really, I, and I thought the, the King stuff was like kind of fun. Like, um, like it was weird seeing him like show up because his sort of like look is so just ridiculous, uh, which like Doom looks pretty ridiculous too, I guess. Uh, and like, I feel like LaRocca's kind of style doesn't like lend itself to sort of like the more um, like vibrant, odd parts of like the Marvel universe or whatever. Um, but then he was like, it, it all fit together because he was written sort of like a man, a man out of time who was just like observing things all over the place. And um, it's just like in the wrong, like is like keeps screwing up like how like the time traveling is working. He's done it so much that it's sort of like lost its appeal. Um, which I thought was, I thought was really cool. And I think like, this is like a really cool setup for, um, for like a mini series. I don't know if this is a mini or an ongoing, I, but I can't really, I guess see it lasting longer than like six or eight issues. I think it's, I think it's a mini. Yeah. I think they actually announced as a mini. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Like that would, that would make sense. Cause it like, this seems sort of like he could, he could Cantwell and LaRocca can get to the end of the story. And like, that'll be it. Um, it is like cool exploring a doom who like, didn't like, didn't commit this thing or like, didn't like, this is not one of the things that he did. Um, and it also sort of has like fun. Like there was a lot of, sort of like, it seems like there's going to be a lot of more like global politic things that are going to come up, which is kind of interesting. Um, Speaking of like j- the jokes and things that you talked about, the line "Brexit stage left flee" was the uh, I think highlight of of uh, my reading experience of this thing, just because that's such a ridiculous thing. Oh, it is. It is. But that's like the stuff I mean. That's like weird, but good. Like it works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think about um, like about Laroca and what he was doing here? Um, I really like how he draws Doctor Doom. Um, it's I think he's a hard character to draw effectively um, because you can either make him too robotic or kind of too much of a cartoon. And I think that he manages to make him look like um, I think he gives him like a piece of humanity. Um, he gives him like a piece of humanity, but also. Um, he looks like kind of menacing if that makes sense um yeah yeah i do like how he how he draws him and and like that country and those characters and they all look very unique to like this part of the marvel universe it doesn't really look like anything else to me which works yeah yeah i would agree with that i usually um like laroca is not one of those artists that does a lot of things for me uh like I kind of, I kind of usually think that a lot of his stuff looks really, um, like robotic and and not not a good way and like and like lifeless um, and sort of like dead and 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 kind of flat. Uh, um, like all of what him and Rosenberg did on the Uncanny X Men stuff recently, like was not really my uh, cup of tea. Um, but I thought that what he, I thought that what happened, like what he did here, like. And especially like with the tone that Cantwell sets about like, and this being like more 
darker and sadder and and like more like melancholic like i think that um like laroque is a really good fit for this book and he draws like he's able to capture like a lot of the sort of like weirdness of of doom and of laveria and um and like king and some of these other things and also sort of like impose uh like some of the like the realism i think that is usually a usually my critique of his uh like style but here it really fits um and i liked it yeah me too. Mm-hmm. so yeah cool well we'll go ahead and then jump into the the meat of this uh second part of of the episode so we're going to be talking about the ends of house of x and powers of 10 with house of x6 and powers of 10 6 we'll take them in that order but we'll kind of talk about them together before we move on to x-men one so house of x6 and powers of 10 6 written by jonathan hickman illustrated collectively by pepe laraz and rb silva colored by Marte gracia and david curio uh gracia was supposed to color the uh all of the whole series but he got sick towards the end of coloring um uh the end of these two issues uh and had to have surgery uh but he's doing well we've seen on twitter so we wish wish him a speedy uh, recovery and return. Um, he's done phenomenal, jo- a phenomenal job on both of these series. So color by Gracia and Curiel, uh, designed by Tom Muller and then lettered by Clayton Cowles. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> so we'll take them, we'll talk about them kind of separately and then we'll come back, uh, at the end of this conversation and talk about what we think of both of them as an ending, what we think about these series collectively. Uh, so we'll start, but we'll start with house of X six. So overall, Jess, what were your thoughts on um, on how on how Hawk Six um, goes? Gosh, um, it's far more hopeful. I think. Um, <laughs> I think the ending is. Uh, I think it's a really good ending for what for like how they're going to launch the new series because it is very hopeful. But there's like this weird. Once you finish reading Powers of Ten, there's like yeah. this weird underlying darkness to it that i i'm really into um but i think that house Mm -hmm. of x ended up being the more hopeful one um which is interesting yeah yeah it was super interesting to go back and reread house of x6 after i'd already read powers of 10 6 like for the first time because when i read like house of x6 like the first week of october i was like oh this is really hopeful like this is like the status quo is going to be really cool. Like the X-Men really, and the mutants, like they really have one, like they've kind of gathered uh, like this nation, they've set it up, like they're established, like everything's good. And then you read powers of 10, six and it's like, oh shit, everything's a lot more sinister than, um, than like was thought, which is like on, on purpose. And I think it like is fun then that like we have these two separate books that like are one. Cause I, I don't know that like the, the sort of like fullness or impact of like house of X being the more optimistic book would have been felt as much if this was all just like one 12 issue mini series. Um, but I think that like, you're absolutely right. Like, like house of X six is, um, so we'll kind of, we'll take it, we'll take it in chunks first. So like, you know, we have the, the bits where we like, uh, we begin with the, looking back and Xavier telling the world that we're here and we're not going away. And then we move into like the quiet council stuff and all that, which we'll talk about here in a second. And then we move into like this big party that sort of ends the series, which is a lot more fun. Um, but taking like, but the, the, the council stuff, 
I think is like the most sort of uh, like really interesting part of, of the issue. Like it's like not necessarily hopeful, but it's just like, it's really interesting. So what do you think of, of this new uh, government structure for Krakoa that, that is set up here in this issue? I find it interesting that the X-Men, that the mutants want to do things differently from the humans, but they didn't even have their elections to, to de- designate who this council was. Like, it just seems like that's step one to how you fuck up. <laughs> because it's like, you have all these people, um, and <laughs> you need leadership in that, and you need um, guidance for everyone else. That's just kind of how things work. You always need some kind of leadership. But they went and did this and didn't actually um, bring, like, they didn't vote for any of these people. And some of these people on this council are known villains who have done a lot of really bad things, but now they're in a position where they can um, lead everybody else. It's just weird. Um, it's like, it's weird. I don't know. I don't, I'm not crazy about it because it's it's just like any time in, in any time in human history where someone had power that wasn't actually elected, it never ever goes well. <laughs> so, and I think it goes even worse when you have notorious villains on your on your whole squad <laughs> here, and then they make their laws which is very Animal Farm to me. Like, I just, I, my head immediately went to Animal Farm, only not in, like, the political sense, but, like, in the sense that those three laws are absolutely going to turn into, like, 20 laws with all kinds of disclaimers on them, just yeah. like Animal Farm. <laughs> it's like, respect all the, respect these animals, except <laughs> these specific ones. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I didn't think, I didn't think Animal Farm reading this but that is a really that is a really apt comparison uh and i think like all of this scene i think really sort of foreshadows that things things are not gonna stay this um this calm like throughout the whole thing uh um, we get we, when we when we mention powers of 10 i i, I can already see one way that it's all gonna fall. <laughs> that and that is like an interesting thing about about like like democracy and elections this is definitely not um that like this is like like xavier and magneto and mora right create an aristocracy where it's there's a ruling council but they're like appointed and it's like all the people in power uh i think so like this whole scene like was like really really cool even though like i know like it's even though it seems like it's like the weirdness is coming like it felt very um like like philosophical almost like they were having this like very sort of like rigid um almost like philosophical dialogue in some ways which i think was like matched by the sort of like the nine panel grid and sort of the like rigidity of um of just like how like uh like the the art switches to that which was really really cool and it's very sort of um like like terse and unemotional until we get to the end and then Kurt's just like, oh, well, we need to fuck more because that's what God said. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From him. See, this is the thing that's like, see, that whole philosophical discussion that they end up having, that's a very Jonathan Hickman thing. Like that is right, like he will right. write an entire comic book where it's just a bunch of like superheroes sitting around a table talking about whether or not they should go save this one person or in this case, what, what kind of punishment Sabretooth deserves. 
And it's like, then on top of that, you have Nightcrawler, who's like the most Catholic person in all of X-Men. And probably, you know, of all X-Men, because I would say Daredevil's a little bit more Catholic than he is. Um, And he jumps right away to procreation. (laughs) Which is like, of course, that's where he went. Yeah, every, exactly. Every sperm is of sacred. Course that's where Hickman's brain went. Like, of course, when we <laughs> deal with Catholicism, of course, that's where his brain went. Yeah, and I think, like, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. It is because, like, it, it and it because it, it matches like the sort of the the dialogue part feels like very like like old old school philosophy. Like, it's definitely it's like like almost like like platonic in a sense like like plato has like it's it's definitely like a dialogue it's definitely like what is the highest good like what is the sort of like highest aspirations of like what a mutant can and can't do and all of these things and then like but it's also like mixed in because like krakoa has been set up as as this sort of like sort of like eden and then kurt's like got a quote genesis and it's, it's it's all great like all of the sort of like different traditions and things um and like the thought processes processes like are all there and like are all there for um like the laws like the laws are all like pleasure and then like virtue and like and all, i don't know like it's 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 just i thought like like that being my wheelhouse i thought that this scene was was like really really fun and then it just ends mystique's mama mystique's just like what does god tell you to do and kurt's like oh we gotta fuck um which is wonderful I am curious, and and, and uh, like I think that we know that the uh, Red King, Red Queen is going to be like Kitty Kate is going to be Kate Pride, and I'm curious why that reveal wasn't revealed here. Like why we're saving that for Marauders, um, even though like that's a thing that we kind of know. Like, what did you think? What did you think about that? Um. I thought it was revealed that she wasn't going to be it. I thought somebody somewhere said that wasn't going to be who it was, that she had a different role. Oh, really? That's oh. what I thought I read, yeah. I thought I read that she was getting a different role, that it looked like that's what she was getting, but she wasn't. Oh, okay. But I, what I'm interested in is how you feel about Sabretooth's actual punishment. Oh, um... Well, so I thought the, like, first the scene where, like, Emma and Jean are both, like, like making him catatonic, I thought was, like, really powerful and, and crazy. Um, I think, like, the punishment is interesting. Uh, but also, like, thinking about, like, it's the only thing that makes sense, like, given all the laws that they've set up. Uh, I am curious like further down the line after they probably end up sentencing a lot of people to this sort of um, like exile, like what's going to happen or if like, that's not going to happen. But it also just reminded me, like since we're building off of the like Eden to not Eden, like it's very like Cain and Abel-esque is like Sabretooth is like, is like Cain and the first sort of like uh, um, like, person who commits sort of like a heinous act in like this new world. Uh, and Cain never shows really up again in like Genesis of the Bible. He's kind of just like, he's go he goes and does his other thing. And that's kind of it. So I don't know. Like, I think I'm curious to see if this, if this thing comes up again, or if it's just like Sabretooth 
is the price that that we pay for this new status quo or whatever. I think he's going to show up again, but I think it's going to be when they need him. Or or I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but I think that Mystique will go get him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cuz I I have I have a theory about Mystique. So <laughs> Yeah. I think and I think that that's I think that that might be true too. Like I think that you know like as you've been like the inevitability of this like going south and there being like a coup or a rebellion is is coming in like in I think that powers of 10 hints at hints at that and you're probably like mystique or apocalypse or whoever that like flips the tables you're right like they might yeah. and there might be end up being more people that get thrown in here and they might end up being sort of like this new army or this new evil like evil mutant group or whatever that forms. Um, like I could definitely see that. I think too, um, worth noting is that uh, <laughs> the ending of house of X and the, and X-Men one kind of go together mm-hmm. really nicely because it seems, it seems like there's a lot of sex happening in Krakoa. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, shout out to Jonathan Hickman for actually knowing his X-Men and having there be lots of banging. Because that is a thing. It may yeah. not be explicit, yeah. but it's happening all the time. All the time. Pour one out for all of the polyamory. I cannot wait to lose my shit <laughs> over everything happening in X-Men 1. I am so excited. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get... Well, okay. So, first, so let's, let's... We'll get there in a second. The last thing that I want to talk about this issue um, is this this now updated map of Krakoa. Um, which I just think is like really, really wild and cool. And I wanted to get your, your thoughts on it now that we've added all these places that weren't in the first map of Krakoa in the first house of X. I don't have the map in front of me, so. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it's made, so it, so it shows like, you know, that there's a Pacific part of Krakoa and an Atlantic part of Krakoa. And then like, we learned that there's like a bar sinister on Krakoa as there was in like powers of 10, like, like that Sinister's has moved his castle and then like there's a hellfire, like hellfire Bay, which will probably be important to like marauders and things. There's like the Atlantic Krakoa is sort of like the new danger room, but it's like the danger Island. I just think it's, I just think it's fun that we now have like a better idea of how this world um, is looking. And also like all of the, the, uh, like the, the legend for like marking where all of these, like what all these places are in the map, like all the places are in red. Um, instead of like in black, uh, which has sort of been the in the uh, like reading order thing at the back has been like the these are really important. Look at this. So I just I, I just think the map's really cool. That's really it. But we can um, switch over since we've already kind of talked about it a little bit to looking at powers of 10 six. Um, so just kick us off. God, powers of 10 is a really weird book. I had a hard time making heads and tails of it. Um, uh, so what, so basically mutants are always going to lose. And that is something that is something it's kind of depressing. (laughs) If you're Moira, because so we end up finding out that this whole thing that we've been seeing with this, like, future with the humans basically basically descending into robots and then becoming like one with a black hole or whatever um is like her sixth life and 
she basically gets to the point where she where she's realizing that no matter what they do, they're always going to lose. So from what I took from it is when she gets to this 10th life, she fakes her death to kind of stay out of everything. And then creating Krakoa and using the plants um, for the humans is kind of a way to keep them docile from what I took from it. It's kind mm-hmm. of a way to keep them at bay, um, yeah. which is not something she had ever tried before. That's definitely right. Like the, like, because like the librarian in the, in the like X, X to the third, like the 1000 timeline or whatever says like the mutants bought them a few years and then the Nimrods bought them like decades. And so instead of, so then like the thing that I thought was really interesting after this is like, so, so life six, she learns that the mutants always lose. Then life seven is her like testing that theory. Like do the humans always lose? Like if she can kill all of the Trasks and prevent like the Sentinels from being built, will the machines still rise? And then will like humanity eventually emerge with the machines? And the answer is yes, the machines are inevitable. And then she's like, okay, well, let me try Magneto then in life eight, because I haven't tried this route. And then let me try apocalypse in life nine um, and try like the radical, like what if like eight is just like, what if we wipe out humanity before they can do things? And and like idealism and all that gets in the way and the nine is like okay what if we then like try to create like post mutants then instead of like the humans have been making post humans like let's have the mutants create post mutants and then that like doesn't work out because the only person that can do that sinister that's literally his name and he's evil and also like a disney princess basically now in powers of 10 and i think it's lovely because he's just so catty and fun um so yeah, I think like you're right. Like this this 10th life then is like, okay, let's do Krakoa and let's help humanity like naturally sort of get a little bit better and then buy us, buy mutants enough time to like evolve and resurrect then to the point that there are more mutants than humans and the humans are incapable of uh, becoming post-humans, even if there's all the machine stuff, which yeah. is insane. It it really is. And then you come back to, like, you come back to um, the current day in the 10th life, and it's like, you're kind of seeing where all the puzzle pieces went, but I don't think she's taken into account a few different things. Um, because there is this theory yeah. that is going around, I, I can't find, I'm trying to find it, but there is this theory going around that the mutants that are on Krakoa, most of them, except for the people that are in the know, are being brainwashed by the island itself. So, like, but I don't actually buy into that because I oh, I think it's too easy. Um, I think it's too easy. Um, but she has it taken into account that mutants are mutants, but they still have the tendencies of, like, people because they're people. They just have this extra gene. Um, And people are always going to do certain things. People are always going to be a certain way. It seems kind of cynical, but I don't, I think it's more realistic when you're telling a story like this. Like, yes, everyone seems to be happy right now. She seems to, Moyer herself seems to be kind of calm with where things are. Um, 
Charles and Magneto kind of seem to be okay where where things are, but they don't take into account that in the end people are always going to be people, which is why I think Mystique is going to end up being um, a huge part in how this all falls apart. Initially, I thought it was maybe going to be Apocalypse, um, but I think that if Hickman is kind of like the, the the guy show running this whole thing, I think he has something different in store for Apocalypse. I think that with Apocalypse, he's going to look at a guy who's been kind of defeated, but not in the most conventional way. Because basically what Apocalypse always wanted has been accomplished, but he didn't get to do it. So now what does he do? Um, and initially I thought maybe he was the one that turns bad on everybody, but I think it's going to actually be Mystique. Um, because Moira tells Charles and Magneto that they can't bring mm -hmm. back certain mutants and destiny is one of them. And part of how they got Mystique on board with everything was that they told her they could bring back destiny and they're not going to, they have no intention of bringing her back because if they do, she can kind of throw a wrench into all this because one, she hates Moira and two, she can see the future, which kind of fucks with what they're trying to do. So, Mystique is the villain and she has been through her history willing to do really shitty things to people that she cares about. She doesn't care. It's going to be, and she's selfish and you've promised her these things. You've got her working for you. Cause she's not working with you. She's working for you. She's doing what you need her to do with the promise that um, she's going to get what she wants, which is how, mystique operates she gets what she wants and then you get what you want that's how she operates um which is very different from emma frost because i saw some comments about that it's very different um and what i think is gonna be a huge conflict here is that she's going to want what she was promised she's not going to get it and i think she's going to kind of twist people um, into this sort of rebellion and she's going to go get Sabretooth and say look what they do to people who don't follow their purity rules or whatever like she's going to twist everything around I mean I, I don't know if that's definitely going to happen but I think that's a really strong possibility at this point that she's going to be the one that kind of screws everything up and you have to also remember what her ability is so she can really do some damage so I don't know. I, I think that's what's going to happen with her, at least. Whether it, it becomes, like, the thing that propels the main X-Men book, I don't know. But I do think that she's going to have a huge part to play with everything that's going to happen, especially since they're not giving her what she was promised, which is destiny. Yeah, yeah. I think that I'm... I think that you're right. I'm... And very like as you were talking and talking about Mystique, like I, I'm wondering still like with Apocalypse and things, um, like how this whole like the other Krakoa thing plays out, like the Araco or Arak Araco or whatever, um, you know, like that was teased in um, I think it was like Powers the Ten Four, I don't remember, like having this other island and like apocalypse is like first horseman things. Like I'm wondering how all that is going to play into sort of this future of this thing. Cause I think that you're right. Apocalypse has gotten everything that he, that he wants, like, but he has like sort of the old school sort of like survival of the fittest domination kind of thing. Like a like older sort of like 19th century view of like what evolution is. And so I'm wondering then like, if he's going to be like, well, 
these mutants aren't this Krakoa, like this is not the fittest place. Maybe I can form my own island and things like I can do this myself or whatever. And then maybe Mystique ends up there or something. But I am, I am sort of curious like where all that goes. And I think that you're right. Like, I think that Mystique's going to throw a wrench in all these things. And I also think too, like, and this is definitely like something that like I want to talk about that I think is really interesting. Um, like Moira has a plan. Like Moira, yeah. Moira's like, Moira's like Elizabeth Warren. She has a plan for that. Um, mm-hmm. And Xavier and Magneto don't. Um, like she's twisted them enough to where they have sort of like compromised and come to a middle ground. And Moira's like, if yeah. you just listen to me, we might have a chance. And they're not. She basically, she basically says in her journal that she broke Charles Xavier. She had to break him. Yeah and completely changed the way that he sees the world for any of this to work. So this isn't even like a Charles Xavier. It's a younger body Charles Xavier, but mentally it's not the same Charles Xavier. It's a completely different guy now. Right, right. The thing that I think was like really interesting in this issue and I wanted to ask about is like Xavier and Magneto have like gone behind Moira's back a lot to do a lot of different things. And like the way that this issue ends them then with like them monologuing back and forth at the party and the like, look at what we've created is a lot more um, like sinister and, and an evil and, and arrogant and wrong compared to how it is in house of X six, because they've basically kind of like they, that scene with Moira is them kind of like placating her and saying like, no, no, it's okay. Like, look, you did all this good like this good work, you know, and like now we're going to take over from here because we're the men and we know like how to do it better. And that's how this issue, like that's how I read this issue ending is like them saying to Moira, like you took us this far now, like let us be in control, even though like they're so arrogant and they're so wrong and they don't know every, because we're told in Moira's journal journal entries, like Xavier can't absorb all of her like memories and ideas and things. Like he doesn't know the full extent of what's like happened and so he still thinks that they can win. Um, and it's it's also interesting in that same that same those same journal entries that they want to be in control and she can't show him everything. But she purposely went out of her way with Charles to create Proteus and Legion. Like they were purposely born and they yeah. rewrite reality. They don't see the future. There's a very big difference between that and then what Destiny and like Blind Spot can do, which is why they don't get to come back. But Proteus and Legion are like key to this. But we don't know how. Yeah. 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 I thought like I thought that part was a lot more interesting. It's like, oh, Moira got married and like had a kid and like Xavier had a kid in order to just like fulfill like it re it recontextualizes like them having like children in order to like fulfill sort of the like means to the end that is this thing, which is kind of. But shaky. even then, we don't know, and like even then, we don't really know how that works out because she's keeping a lot to herself, right. while she has her her little spot on Krakoa where she's supposed to be dead. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's. It's really, it's like where House of X was like more hopeful, Powers of Ten is like, yeah, here's a million different ways that this comes crumbling down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This only works in the sort of like well-calculated Moira, I figured it out kind of way. And already there, already there are problems. Uh, 
which I think is wild. So let's, so I want to, I want to talk real briefly about sort of like these two things as a whole, and then, then we can jump to X-Men number one. So what do you think about um, these two issues, like as an ending, these two series, like as a whole, like was this thing successful in sort of like kicking off this Dawn of X thing? And then as we move to X-Men number one, uh, I want to ask like, could that series have began begun without a house of X and a powers of 10 before it? See, I think the more cynical view would be to say, Oh, did we really need like a 12 issue prologue to get to like these new books? And I think yes, because there's a lot that is given to us from the beginning of this whole thing to the very end. And I don't think you could have given that to us in a way that would have made sense in the series that are coming out. Like, I don't think you could do that first issue of X-Men without having known all of this stuff already, which I realize it's a lot to ask for, um, for readers to have to have purchased like a 12 issue series that was coming out weekly to kind of follow what's been going on. But there's just so much that is, it's a leap of faith, but I think it paid off because I think what they're do what, what, Hickman and and these artists and all these new teams are doing is really really creative and really very different from anything that's come before so while it's easy to say like no we didn't need all of this we did um because I don't think X-Men 1 is as good or easy to follow without having read um these two series and like I said, I think that's a lot to ask for readers, but I think it's I think it's worth it. I think what was given to us here is so worth it. And and again, like I'll say it's not perfect. Um, if you're somebody who's been reading X-Men a long time and you're looking for these characters to kind of have the same relationships and sound the same, you're not going to get that. But if you're willing to get something through X-Men that's like really different and and unique and bold then this is it so i do think it needed to happen i do think that what is done here had to happen for all these new series to make sense because it's just way too much information to try to drop through like waves of books because um when we talk about x-men one um at the very end there's a list again um of when everything comes out and it's like a very distinct reading order. And I don't think you could have given us any of the information we get in these two books in those books. It would have been way too messy, Mm -hmm. way too messy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's definitely true. Uh, And I think that I, I agree with the, the thought that like, I don't think that I could have jumped into X-Men number one without having read house of x and powers of 10 a lot of a lot of the reason is because like i didn't know a ton about the x-men before like starting house of x and powers of 10 um and also like there's so much um you're like like information and also just like world building that has to happen i think before we can get to the place that we can just then focus on even the like the convoluted nature of like the like the summer's family and like their dynamics as we jump into could could you have imagined getting the entire the entire uh Moira is a mutant and here's how many times she's been reincarnated as like two pages just thrown away as like a revelation instead of like an actual issue 
where it really goes into what that means, that would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah. And I think, so I, I am curious, because like I read some of those uh, like question and answer things that Hickman did uh, with Adventures in Poor Taste. And he kind of said in that interview that um, Powers of Ten was originally supposed to be a little bit different than it was in, in, um, in what we got. Like he said that they gave us a lot more information about Moira up front than he anticipated was going to be revealed up front. He thought that a lot of that info was going to be revealed um, in this uh, this like Moira series that is going to launch eventually. Um, and like that's really, really, I think, really interesting because I am wonder I am kind of wondering uh, like parts of like Powers of Ten were like a little bit slower. Um and I think, like, I'm wondering, like, what it would have been like. Because X-Men number one, like, it's related to everything that's happening. But, like, it's not about Moira at all. And it's not about, I mean, Xavier doesn't even show up, really, except in the beginning in, like, the prologue. And, like, Magneto shows up, but kind of just in the, like, he's, like, now, like, a, a proud hero person again. Um, like, it's really centered on, like, Cyclops and, and co. Uh, I am wondering, like how I would have felt had I only had house of X two going into like this, all stuff, all this stuff, instead of knowing all the things about Moira, uh, like if there was a lot more like mystery on that front still, which I think that there still is. Like, I think that there's more story to be told because like the timelines don't give us everything, but um, I definitely think that like we needed to know everything about Krakoa before going into any of these books. And it may not be as apparent here in this issue, but I definitely think that like next week when Marauders comes out and the week after when Excalibur comes out, um, that like those books having been seated in House of X and Powers of 10 are going to make a lot more sense having read those books. Um, And it was really expensive, but again, and like, and it continues with X-Men number one, which is also a 499 issue. Um, not five ninety nine, four ninety nine. Uh, like we get the data pages. It's like heavy. It takes a long time to read. Uh, and there are a lot of there are a lot of comics that I'm not okay with paying. You know, like four ninety nine, five ninety nine for that I just don't, or that like are more per, overpriced than that that I'm just like I'm I'm not going to do this uh, because I don't have to. Uh, but this is something I think that was worth paying for like this weekly. Uh, and I think even too if. And this is not this is not true for me, but I like there I contemplated like if the X Men books from like here until the end of the Hickman era was like the only comics that I was buying and paying for, like you know like if that was where my entire comic budget went, I think I would be like really satisfied and would be fine, blowing you know like the twenty bucks a month that it'll or well probably more than that because they're about to all start double shipping in December, um, so like the forty bucks a month it would be to like buy all these things. Like, I think I could do that. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're reading a whole bunch of others, I, th- I, th- I hope that with the, the new series that while they all seem to be important, that they're not all like mandatory to read. Like that's what gets me is because you've got to understand that there's other comics that are out. And I mean, for me where I'm at with my reading I'm okay with only reading this right now, regularly at least, um, yeah. because I am so invested in what's happening. I I'm all in on this. Like I need to read all these series. But if you're reading a whole bunch of other stuff from publishers that aren't even Marvel, it's like at some point there's got to be a little bit of separation. Um, 
So hopefully that exists where these are like kind of their own stories, but they do all kind of have like similar themes going on. Like Marauders is different from X-Men and then Fallen Angels is very different. So hopefully that's the case. Um, Hopefully. I am like, I'm, and and we won't, we won't have anything to talk about on this front until the next time that we record. But I just am super curious, like what all of these books are going to look like. Um not written by Hickman because we haven't gotten a book yet yeah. in the 13 weeks that have, that all of these things have been going that hasn't been written by Hickman. And so I yeah. am like, and I also am not at a place that I can imagine not reading all of these books. Um, but I have like seen people on Twitter being like, yeah, I'm just going to pick up Marauders and probably New Mutants. And like New Mutants seems to be the, like those two seem to be the ones that people are like, I'm going to pick up these two because they seem to be like, the important ones or whatever, like the plot driving ones. Um, I, th- I think if, which, if I it feels were weird cutting, to me. it does. And I think, but if I think if I were cutting it down, I think that X-Men is the one that I have to read. Cause that is the Hickman book. And I think that that's going to be like the big one where I think like anything major happens, it's going to spill out into the other ones. But I think like, if you were only going to read one, I think X-Men is the one to read. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think that's true. But like, I like, I was looking at, I don't know, like, I think, I feel like Marauders is going to be like a really important one, just because like the way that they've talked about it. And I think like only be, and I don't know a lot about like New Mutants or like all of the young mutant characters, which is probably some of like my not like apathy, but just like I, this is not the one that I'm looking forward to, like with new mutants. Cause I don't know a lot about all those characters, but people are like, Oh, because Hickman's going to be co-writing some of that. That's probably the other important one. Um, but I like really think, I don't know. Like I think Excalibur is going to be really important. Uh, I think like X-Force is going to be really important because like, it's got all the heavy hitters in there. And like, I just, I just like, I can't imagine not reading all of them and maybe like, I don't know. Like, and also I just like want to read them all. I think maybe like fall, maybe out of all the six that we know of, like fallen angels might be the one that, it's the least amount of love and i hope not like i hope that it has important things that happen in it um well we've been talking about it a little bit so let's go ahead and and fully transition then into uh x-men number one uh so written as we said by hickman illustrated by linnell Yu, inked by jerry alguilan and colored by sunny go designed by muller and letter by clayton cows again so um that polyamory. I, I need to just get this off my chest <laughs> because this is like, okay, okay, okay. So. It, <laughs> <laughs> she clapped, folks. This is real. Jonathan Hickman knows his audience more than he probably should. He is too powerful right now. Far too powerful. Because there's no other reason that this exists in this form, okay? So Nightcrawler's whole thing now is, oh, we need to make more mutants. So Scott Summers builds a house, right? And the only yeah. adjoining rooms in the house, mm-hmm. <laughs> 10, 11, and 12, belong to him, Wolverine, and Jean, with doors opening for each room into the other room. There is no other reason that that would exist. Yeah. <laughs> other than except if they are all sleeping They together. are all sleeping together, and it is beautiful. I am so proud of them to finally get to this point. It took them like 50 years to figure out that they could just all be a a little triad instead of fighting each other. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
And like jeans in the middle. And jeans so, in the know. middle. So I don't want to hear anything. Like I, there is yeah. no other reason that that is happening. <laughs> yeah, she's like having the most fun. Like she, she probably loves this. I'm sure she does, and I'm pretty sure that Cyclops and and Wolverine visit each other on occasion. So oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> there is Wolverine bottoms. It's fine, you know. It's beautiful. I love that he just drops that in there. Like that's not like it's not a major thing. Knowing how in the entire fandom was going to react to that and we're like hold on wait a second so he builds a house and the only three rooms that adjoin to each other (laughs) are the three of them but that's completely platonic you know there's no reason there's no other reason for that obviously they just need to be close to to each other in case like wolverine has a bad dream and needs a hug yeah 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 (laughs) In case they need anything in the middle of the night, you know, or like their night, the night light stops working. Uh, you, know. you know, Jean can just flip it back on. You know, she's just she can see it, just flip it back on. That's why they got the door there, so she can see it. It's the greatest thing. Like, and he's too powerful because he knows he's just too powerful. He just knew that this is what the people wanted, so he gave it to us. And I guess Marvel maybe told him, "Hey, so we're not going to actually let you show them together. We're not doing that." But so he was like, "All right, Tom Mueller, yeah. give me that map." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give, me that give map. him, give him a it's little bit. Beautiful. Him, yeah. I I yeah. feel I'm like about- I. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, there's an empty room in the house, and I'm wondering if that's just, like, there's, for there's, Emma or for, there, like, their guests, or oh that's, like, their God. sex dungeon or something. There's two empty rooms. There's a room. There's an empty room. There's two empty rooms? Yes, there's an empty room because I have that. Oh, there is that, two. That yeah. map I have in front of me because that's an important map. Um, <laughs> I have – so they have a room uh, on the side with Vulcan and Havoc that's empty. And there's a room mm-hmm. uh, between uh, Cable and Rachel that's empty. And if M. Frost oh, okay. moves into that house, I yeah. will die. <laughs> yeah. I guess, no, well, because she has a, I think the map said that she had a castle. Like, I think she that does. she has her own castle on Krakoa. What else? And I guess, like, now that I'm looking at it, because this, so 17, the, the other empty room is between Cable and Rachel's mm-hmm. room. So it's probably going to be like, Whenever inevitably Jean gets pregnant, like it'll be oh the baby room. I love like um, people complained that like Powers of Ten and House of X didn't really feel like old X Men because there wasn't like soap opera drama. And I'm like, if you don't think that there's gonna end up being a baby in this <laughs> that nobody yeah. knows who the father is, you you have not read yeah. X Men before. <laughs> Yeah. And it's not going to matter because they're all going to be. They're going to live together family. happily, and they're going to all raise Jean's little baby together, and that baby will be what is the inevitable downfall of the X Men, and that's a lesson that Jonathan Hickman is trying to teach us. Everyone was too hot for each other, and it destroyed mutants. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The real the problem real with problem. society is that people are horny all, all the, time. the time, especially all the especially time. Wolverine and Cyclops. So that's it. That's the end of the mutants. They did it. Great job, guys. Pack it in. Yep, it's that's it. It's so good. It's it honestly, it sounds so dumb, but it's like the only thing I've been able to think about for this issue is that that's happening over there, <laughs> and then. In the end, at the end of House of X, there's a little flirtation between Jean and Emma, which is like a whole yeah. other thing to look at. So I don't know. I think there's something going on in Krakoa where everyone is just yeah. going to start jumping. There's on. something in the water. Something you know, is happening a, over yeah. there. I don't think Emma's living in that castle yeah. by herself. 
Probably not. No, <laughs> probably not. Um, she probably that's probably where the sex dungeon oh, is. Probably. Is that Emma's she's castle. she definitely is the type to have a sex dungeon. One hundred percent. One hundred. That's yeah, why she has a castle. Yeah. That's yes. why she has a castle. You can't yeah. do it at, at Scott Summer's house. There's too many people there. Too right. many people there. Right. And then right. too many ca- children. Cable, too many cable children. seems a little uptight, so that's not happening there. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like a child now, so he just like doesn't get you know, it. You know? So, which is like the weirdest thing yeah. to me. Like that's like the weirdest thing yeah. about this whole like. Let's look at how Scott Summers and his little family are living. It's so normal. Yeah, it's like so weird because they're like in their X Men outfits, but it's so normal. Yeah. They're just washing dishes together and and barbecuing while Wolverine is looking at Jean. <laughs> and it's okay now though because they're all sleeping with each other, so it's okay now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all fine. It's all fine. It's, it's everything's fine now. We've got. They live on the moon. They they've got their house. They wash dishes together. They have adjoining bedrooms. It's great. It's all normal. And I love that there's multiple articles about the X Men <laughs> about X Men number one, only about this whole thing <laughs> with this map with three yeah. of them. I'm like, see, this is what I mean that he's too powerful because he knows who he was writing for. Yep. <laughs> I did, like, speaking of cable things, like, I do think of all the, like, weird things to have kept from the last, like, five years of X-Men stuff, like, teen cable is an odd is an odd choice, but, like, a welcome one, maybe, I guess, because now, like, they can all really be a family for the first time. Yeah. And, like, a traditional family. Like, not, like, traditional, obviously not, like, a traditional family, but in, like, a more, like, what a family might look like sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So other than the sex dungeon, because a handful of other things happen in this issue. Um, I also think like S- Scott and Polaris might like be, you know, like have it like some side hookups. She's going to get one of the empty bedrooms. Maybe. And then that'll be super weird. She might. If Magneto is your father-in-law, yeah. you've got some problems. I don't think that's the situation you want to get yourself yeah. into. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, plus, you know, you have to be careful with with all that because we don't know how Jean might feel about that. This might be a very closed off little trio, you know, that sure. that there's no room for anybody else. So that might also be why Emma Frost lives in a castle. Mm. Yeah. She's like you can have your side things, but I like can't I don't need to see it. But like you can see mine and like this is it. Like this is all we've agreed to this. Yeah. Maybe I bet Magneto doesn't have a lot of people living in his house. So I'm sure that Lorna has like five rooms that her and Scott can whatever in. I I just I I want there to just be a book that breaks down all that kind of stuff that's happening on Krakoa. Yeah. That's what we I just need. we just finally need the uncanny sex men. Yeah, exactly. Marvel yeah. black label, but it's just about who's doing who in the, in the new X Men books. Yes. Yes. Sinister, Sinister Secrets and the first arc is called The Uncanny Sex Man. See, and no one else but Jonathan Hickman started this because no one was thinking about any of this stuff until this issue came out and he went out of his way to say to Tom Mueller, put this map in this book because people yeah. need to know. Okay, yeah. Before, we were just all hung up on the whole thing with Moira and the robots and what was going to happen to mutants and now we're only hung up on all the stuff that's been going on on that island because Nightcrawler has decided that one of the rules is to make more mutants. Yep. So there you go. Thanks a lot, Nightcrawler. Thanks, man. <laughs> oh, 
Um, so the rest of the issue, uh, now that we've spent 20 minutes talking about uh, the important stuff the fun, that was the all important the important stuff. stuff. Um, the rest of the issue, like I wasn't. I'm gonna be honest. Like I wasn't super like wild by in a lot of ways. I guess. Um, and I also think too, and this is perhaps controversial. You can, you can, you know, say whatever. I don't think that you was the right artist for this book. Yeah, uh, I agree. Okay. Um, in the same way, like earlier when I was talking about like Adam Hubert sort of being an odd choice to like be an, an artist on one of the main Don of X books in sort of this area, I think that you sort of as like a um, he's been around at Marvel. He's been like a Marvel mainstay guy for a while was like kind of an odd choice. And I know that him and Hickman worked together on Hickman's Avengers stuff. Some, um, but I think like going from house of X and powers of 10, which were like very dynamic and very um, just sort of like animated and fun. And was that like new Marvel style that I've really, really come to enjoy. Uh, this was like going back in time and is just like, a lot flatter and like i don't think that the colors like pop as much um as uh as like what was happening and i like really wish that somebody like silva or laras was able to continue on this book which i do think that rb silva come january i think they said in new york comic-con that rb silva is coming back on issue five or six or something and i don't know if that means that you is going to be like off the book entirely or if like we're just going to have a as is Marvel's thing, like a just like mishmash of, of rotating artists. And it's going to be a lot of different artists. Um, but I am really excited for that. Yeah, I, I agree on the art uh, stuff. Um, I did like a couple shots, like uh, the view of the moon and things like that. And some of the more yeah. quieter, like looks uh, were good. Like uh, Cyclops talking to Polaris, like that's a good, those are a good couple pages. Right. Um, but right. otherwise it didn't totally click for me either. Yeah. I think you're right. Like all of the like one or two person interactions that happen in this issue, like are fine. Um, but everything that like all of the sort of like bombast and like kinetic sort of uh, like style and energy and, and like liveliness that, that Laraz and Silva like brought to this stuff is a little bit like a little bit like turned off here like i my like i sort of like idealistic this is what i wanted to happen choice to like be the artist on this book was was dotterman like right after he got done doing war of the realms things and i have to think that he's going to show up at some point in the dawn of x period on some book um but i really wanted him to be like the big old flagship artist uh yeah i think that this is I don't know. Like, I don't, the issue, like the issue is fine. I'm like, obviously definitely going to keep reading. Uh, but like, other than the sort of like fun, sexy things, like, I don't know all of, and like all of, because the other things like, like you doesn't know how to draw, like the eyes always freak me out and use books, like characters eyes, like either they have pupils or they don't. Um, and like, that is weird here, especially because like, Laraz and Silva, like so much of House of X and Powers of Tens were just like close ups of people's faces. Like we saw that scene of Moira and Charles on the park bench in like four issues. Um, and like a lot of that was sold because like you could see their eyes and you could see like the expressions on their faces. And and I think like you doesn't do that near as well as those people did. Um, 
I think this was fun. Like, I think it's a fun inter- introduction. I think it's felt like Scott, um, Scott and Gene and Logan, like while they have been a part of House of X and Powers of 10, they've been sort of like the second rung ring or whatever of characters that have been doing things. Um, it's like, it's cool that they're getting the spotlight here now. And I'm interested in how this book is going to happen, like is going to go going forward. But um, I wasn't like, dis- I wasn't disappointed. I just was like, this is just, this is not as good as everything that came before it. I think part of the, the thing with this issue too, is that um, House of X and Powers of 10 were very fast and very much like, it felt like his foot was on the gas the whole time. Now that everything's like starting, it can go slower. Oh yeah. That makes sense. And I guess like you kind of fits that sort of like maybe slower, more traditional kind of like superhero art or whatever. Um, I don't know, but like with like a, a different book, like every week a Dawn of X book is coming out for like the foreseeable maybe future. So like in some ways, although like it's going to be, you know, six different books instead of two different books. Like we're still going to have some of that. I just was like, I was a little bit bummed, but I think that Tom Muller uh, summer house page is the mm-hmm. best. Mm-hmm. And I love that these books are all going to still have data pages. Like I think that that was one of the things that people thought might go away uh, when we moved into six different books, but I think they're definitely going to be in this book. They might be in other books. And I love that sort of the, um, like the data pages and like the title page uh, for these um, for this issue matched all of the House of X and Powers of 10 stuff. And so I love that the sort of like stylistic kicks that we enjoyed for the first 12 weeks are going to still continue. Uh, like I'm really into that. Yeah. What do you think? I agree. Um, what do you have any other X-Men number one thoughts? No, no. Um, no. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited. Like I'm, I'm super excited for where all this stuff goes from here. Marauders is out next week. Excalibur out after that. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, well, folks, that wraps up our show for this month. Uh, you can, if you could take a moment to uh, rate, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you're listening from, uh, that would be wonderful. Let us know what you think. Let us know how we're doing. And then if you haven't already, head on over to where we're hosted at multiversitycomics.com and check out all of the fun news, reviews, podcasts, interviews, and other content that we have there. It is your home for all things comic related. uh, And it's great. Um, We mentioned it a little bit last episode, but uh, exciting news. Starting next month, Make Mine Multiversity will be a twice monthly podcast You'll be getting to hear from us uh, two times a month, Um, although not necessarily Jess and I both times. The first episode of the month will go up on the first Monday of every month, so starting this November, and it will be uh, an episode, kind of a rotating mishmash of of things in that episode. Uh, So we'll we'll cover, we'll move our news coverage and solicits coverage to there. Might cover some old issues with some other of the Multiversity Comics folks, and then a part of that episode every month. Uh, for the foreseeable future, the DC three cast folks, Brian, Vince, and Zach will be continuing their X-Men coverage from their show that they kicked off with House of X and Powers of 10 in that episode every month. They have pledged to read all of the Hickman era X-Men books and to talk about them. So if you're looking forward to that, if you like them, if you like that show, or if you've never heard of them, definitely check out those episodes. Our third, And then our second episode of the month will continue on the regular third Friday, just like this podcast and we'll feature Jess and I 
and other folks in the future talking about all of the biggest Marvel books of the month, including some of the X-Men books. We're not going to let the the DC three boys steal that from us and the other different things that Marvel will be publishing in the coming future. So there's a lot of fun things to look forward to uh, for Marvel fans, for podcast fans and for, um, for you all, for you, the, you all the fans. And we'd love to hear from you. Um, but with it, that's it. So Jess, where can people find you on the larger interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JessCamNJ. Nice. And you can find me on Twitter at KBGregory13. We will see you in a shorter time span than usual. We'll see you in a couple weeks, first Monday of November. Until then, uh, make more mutants.